Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, John Adams. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. And this is episode 83. Before we dive into this episode, I would like to thank everyone that emailed us here at Macrofab with your concerns over our safety as we faced Hurricane Harvey. We are happy and grateful to report that all our team members are safe and Macrofab is safe and dry. We survived. Yeah, barely. And we're doing a podcast. That's right. Harvey is not going to prevent us from doing a podcast. Yeah. So it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Got a lot of rain. Oh, my God. So this week, our guest is John Adams. Uh, John Adams is a security researcher, investor, and technologist from San Francisco. John was a previous early employee at Twitter and is a one-man entertainment machine. I see he lives up to that last one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this episode is going to be kind of weird for a guest um, because we actually have like a umbrella topic of IoT security. Um, We normally talk about like in the news where like, you know, IoT devices get hacked and stuff like that. And everyone's like, oh, we need more security. But then there's like, what do you do to increase more security on your IoT devices? No one really talks about that. So, John. Yes. What 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 should we do? Help well, us, I think help us <clears throat> hardware plebs. <Okay. clubs. laughs> <laughs> well, I think the biggest problem is, is is not really the hardware. I think <clears throat> I think for the most part the hardware takes care of itself. But <clears throat> the real problem is is the software. And you know, for the most part, um, Internet of Things is mostly Internet of very insecure Linux boxes that no one updates. And this is. This is always a concern. It's that we have uh, literally millions of devices out there, and these these devices are distributed by, by manufacturers, and the manufacturers don't put any sort of you know decent quality updating system on these devices. And then what happens is we we end up with the Internet uh, of Things becoming a massive botnet that people use to attack other systems, or um, or install Doom on, right? Or install Doom on, right? <laughs> and we saw this recently with um, what was it the um, I can't remember the exact manufacturer, but the the cameras were um, everyone was able to use the cameras as a massive botnet to create a distributed denial of service attack against other devices. So, you know, for the most part, it's it's trying to give these these hardware manufacturers guidance on what happens when you deploy software. How do you deploy software in such a way that you can do remote updates and how do you make sure that the, the consumers are actually taking updates? Because, you know, let's face it, even though the hardware might stay stagnant or the, the firmware is stagnant, there are still vulnerabilities being discovered in Linux every day. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it, the... Um... And, it, it, and, and, you know, it's not just Linux. I, didn't, I don't want to single out Linux. Yeah, yeah. It was like the uh, SSH. Um, was that two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there, there was a um, re- remote code execution exploit in, uh, in SSH. Yeah, and that, that was there for almost eternity, basically. And it's just like, they, I think, or did they catch in a code review or something like that? Yeah, well. It's been a while. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think in, um, what was it, in, in 2016, there was a massive attack against against Dyn. Oh, what's that? Sorry, that's my computer. Um, so there were people attacking... Um, uh, it was like a like a Chinese DVR that had a password of root root, and that was <laughs> and that was <clears throat> so that that was the basis for the Mirai botnet if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so people were people were logging into cameras 
and using the, using this default root password, um, and then using that to attack other devices on the internet. In fact, they ended up attacking Dyne, which was a uh, major DNS provider, hmm. and you know it was a there was a big um, uh, there was a big failure across uh, Twitter and Amazon AWS um, in uh, in 2016 because because of a, of a default password issue. So I think I think a lot of this comes down to there's more Unix machines being put on the internet, and there there's more servers that that are you know it's 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 not just a camera. You're actually putting a full uh, computer on the internet, and that computer can be used to attack other computers. That's that's the basis of this problem. Yeah, it's it's like um, the explosion of like let's say the Raspberry Pi for doing projects and stuff. Oh yeah, and I'm... yeah, because like you will put a you know instead of doing an Arduino with a Wi-Fi module that's got very <laughs> limited functionality of what the firmware can do, like right. read an analog input and then transmit that you know that package over the Wi-Fi. Now right. you got a full fledged computer right. there. That and can for every code, no matter what, right? And for every Raspberry Pi that exists on the internet, uh, the the default user is Pi, and the password is Raspberry. It's yeah, like, <laughs> it's like please change your password. I think, um, I think we're sort of seeing like um, it's 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 almost like what happened when, when the early Wi-Fi routers came out. You know, the the first the first kind of big push of everyone having a computer in their house was this, you know, very limited use uh, Wi-Fi router. And I think that they they sort of deployed initially with the Wi-Fi network being open, and with the password probably being something like Linksys, you know. Yeah, yeah. And or, um, just, or no password at all. Or, or no password. Well, we and, ran into one the other day that uh, where the password was password. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Um, but I, you know, I think what happened in time is that you started seeing um, even on like the Apple Airport and you know other devices as as more and more uh, wireless devices came came into use. Uh, we started seeing things like, oh, you can only connect to the admin interface from the local network. Oh, you know, the the internet um, admin option is not available. You know, the default password is generated when the system turns on. Or in the case of, like, you know, some of our local ISPs, like Sonic and things like that, you know, they, they printed the password on the side of the modem, which <laughs> isn't exactly secure, but... You have to get to the person's house to get the password, so because it's 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 like a random series of twenty digits. Yeah. So yeah. there are there are ways of doing this that are that are more secure, and I, I think for people that, that are developing devices that have internet connectivity, that there's better ways of solving this problem. Yeah, and one thing um, devices started uh, doing too is basically when you turn it on, it goes, "This is the default," and it makes you change a password, right. change the password, yeah. which is okay, except most users use like. What, what's the top 20 most common passwords? Um, and most of them are one of those now. Yeah, you're like, God. <laughs> one, two, yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. And it, I actually like the idea of basically, you know, the random password that's kind of, you know, maybe not printed on it, but it goes, here's a random generated password. Right. That's it. Right, exactly. Um, You know, it, it, it's funny because, like, we've, We've looked at, you know, normally when we talk about security, we look at the threat model. We say, what's, how are people going, going to attack the device? And um, I think that, like, sometimes a lot of emphasis is given to things like firmware signing and, and um, malicious updates. But that's really not, that's not much of a problem considering that most people leave the device unlocked. 
Yeah, to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those where if a person has physical access to the device, there's not much you can do. Like, we've seen people basically take ROM chips out of iPhones oh, yeah. and, and get the data from the ROM chip. So it's like you can't stop someone if they want the data. But hardware hacking is incredibly difficult for average people. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, most people don't have a microscope. Most people don't have a um, you know, hot air station. <laughs> I mean, or or the knowledge on what to do with it. Right. So, yeah, so there's how, a guy. How do, we, how do we get around all of this? Uh, which part? Which part? <laughs> I mean, how do how do we hack or how do we how do we defend? Well, it sounds the, the, sounds like the biggest you know issue with security with IoT is just making sure default passwords aren't there. Yeah, there's you know there's um there's something that I've talked about a lot in in talks I've given at security conferences, which is how strong defaults are. So, you know, and th this occurs, like, if you look at Twitter, if you look at Facebook, there are privacy and security defaults that happen, you know, when you set up your account. And same thing when you set up an IoT device. Like, if the device defaults to being open, then guess what? It's probably going to stay open, you know? Yeah. If, if it defaults to having a shitty password, it's probably going to have a crap password. Um, and, and I think a lot of this is, like, when you design um, – this is sort of like the interface between – design, engineering, and and the consumer, which is like, if you're building these devices, <clears throat> you need to understand how the defaults work and to make sure that the defaults are, are secure. So, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, when you build a device, like make sure it's secure by default, not open by default. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, even if it causes just, you know, a slight amount of, uh, User friction. Yeah, user but they, friction. But at that point, though, they've already bought your device. Right. So you well, already got the money. Well, it's also it's also that thing, right? Where it's you know, there's there's a very famous triangle which I I bring up all the time, which is, you know, you have security, convenience, and cost, right? So if you make the device really convenient, it's probably not secure. If you make the device really cheap, it's probably not secure. Yeah. You want you want the sweet spot in the middle. And, uh, you know, my, my friend always says it's like dating. It's like smart, pretty, sane, pick two. <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't matter if it's male or female. You know, it's, it's always a problem. So, yeah. Um, and I was actually looking at your Twitter feed earlier. Um, and yeah. you retweeted something from Internet of Shit, which my, is yeah. um, <laughs> probably one of my favorite uh, Twitter feeds as well. Basically yeah. a Twitter feed that's just basically reposts all the IOT crap that oh yeah fails all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you know toilet toilet paper should not have an IP address, you know, things like yeah. that. <laughs> but it was um it was an article where because we're talking about updates and so I'm like, you know, should you it force users to have that update? Because well, most of the time that's good. But there was that um I can't remember what the device is, what basically bricked it was a smart door lock. Oh yeah, yeah, and it basically every user, or not every user, but a lot of users got locked out of their house because they couldn't. It basically bricked their their lock. <laughs> yeah, this uh, that that's was user friction. Yeah, that's that user was, friction right there. <laughs> that was, uh, I, I believe, that was the the the, the lock eye state um, or lock estate remote lock, and uh, we actually have a theater that I, I I do some work at when I'm you know doing the entertainment thing. Um, and they couldn't get into the theater because the lock had bricked itself. <laughs> huh. 
And you know, it's 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 amazing. It's like the problem the problem with remote updates is is uh, it, you know, you can do a security patch that causes problems. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like all updates are always going to work. I, I think, and a lot of that comes down to QA and testing. And I think that this is because many of these um, many of these companies are building their, you know, like they, they're building their first internet product, right? Yeah, and they're yeah. using they're using you as the test bed. Yep. Yeah. And so, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. So so you know, it's it's difficult because if you don't properly QA an update before it goes out, and 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 that means doing QA in every possible configuration. Um, you know, maybe you have a different type of door, or maybe you have a different type of lock, um, and then you brick the lock. The damage you cause is incredible, and of course, now you can do damage at scale, <laughs> right? Because oh yeah, oh, not only did you break one lock, now you broke like a thousand, and in fact, yeah, instantaneously in, too. Yeah, and and in the case of Lock Estate, they actually had to have people send back their locks to get new boards. Because the the update was so damaging, it it, it bricked the device. Ooh, ouch! So what and, what did it actually do? Was um, it, the update fail? Yeah. So I, actually, I, I I'm gonna poke at the internet really real quick here. Well, you know, while the viewers cannot cannot see this, but uh, that's fine. The um, <clears throat> yeah, the um, the lock estate failure. Yeah, botched update breaks hundreds of smart door locks. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently they, they they did an over the air update. Um, they broke the device, and what what happened was is that the devices the way it bricked was that it actually uh, killed the Wi Fi. So you you have a lock that unlocks and locks over Wi Fi, and um, the update comes over com comes over Wi Fi, and then you brick the Wi Fi device inside of the device. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they were actually offering a, um, a replacement in, in 18 days. So imagine like not being able to unlock your front door for 18 days or being a, well, you'd have to ship your lock back. So you yeah, can't yeah. lock so, your door for 18 days. And, and, you know, he, he, the, the worst thing about the lock estate lock was that the way that this thing installed in your door, you actually had to drill extra holes in the door to mount the lock. <laughs> so if you put so, a, another lock, yeah. So if you, you try to put like holes a standard, in the door. You try to put a standard lock on the door. Now you have like extra holes in the door, which is fantastic. On top of that, because they were so overwhelmed um, by the thousands of locks failing, uh, you couldn't get an email response for like 12 to 24 hours. Oof. <laughs> so you, you can imagine, you know, yeah. customers, customer service on this mess. Yeah. Wow. Um, Not good. Are, so Are they so still around selling products? Oh, yes. Yeah. This just yeah. happened like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Know, so they like – um, Last week. You know, my guess is they probably took these locks back. They uh, reprogrammed the boards and shipped them out again. <laughs> yeah, because because um, speaking of bricking stuff, I was like doing some uh, code work on my on some microcontrollers last oh, yeah. two weeks ago, and I bricked the microcontroller by accidentally writing to the one of the registers that puts it to sleep. Except that oh my was god, the, that was the first thing it did, and it had no way to exit. Like even reset, <laughs> it was ignoring the reset signal. So it wouldn't, it could never wake up. And wow. I went through like three or four. I mean, the good thing is that they're like EFM eight. So they're very inexpensive. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, so, um, yeah. But I like burnt through like three or four trying to find the line of code that was doing that. Oh my God. So um, <laughs> think about if you sent that over. So yeah. So on the, I um, update on... all the macro watches and they all crash. <laughs> all so on up. the, uh, on the badge that we built for DEF CON, um, it turned out you could actually write into one register, and that register would lock the um, it would lock the CPU. 
So <laughs> if you if you had an update that was a bad update, we could actually write a, a set of bits into the security register of the KW01 microcontroller. And once you wrote those bits, that thing was locked forever. So there was no way out. <laughs> huh. And <clears throat> the worst thing was is that we had a compiler bug uh, that would actually tickle that bug. So if if you compiled on the wrong compiler and we put something in the wrong segment, uh, the update code that we have would actually brick the badge forever. <laughs> so we we had we had we we fixed that pretty quickly. Like no one actually no one triggered that bug. But oh, uh, that's lucky. Yeah, that's. Good. But you know, but the funny part is, is it's like you understand, like when you're working with microcontrollers, how uh, you know how precarious everything is. Like you can make a mm -hmm. mistake so quickly. Oh yeah, um, and 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 the answer might be buried in an app note somewhere deep in the bowels of oh my god of whatever manufacturer documentation. Yeah, we had a you know we had like a three hundred page document for the for the chip and all. Yeah, basically, I'll, yeah. I once I found the line of code, I actually yeah. googled it and like there's like one thread like a couple pages deep into Google and it's like I did this and it stopped working. And the next line and the next person responds, "Don't do that." <laughs> Have you, have you ever, Thank you. Have you ever seen that really famous XKCD cartoon where like the guy has a problem and then oh, the, this, uh, yeah, uh, and, and the other guy's like, see? yeah, he's like, what have you seen? Yeah, you know, it's actually funny. We had a podcast about that. Yeah, yeah, that was wow. oh, that was one of the early podcasts. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, the it's it's XKCD Wisdom of the Ancients. He's like, who were you, Denver Coder Nine? What did you see? <laughs> yeah, I'll never know you, Viper. Yes, never. <laughs> so close to another soul, and yet so, help, so helplessly alone. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite XKCD cartoons. Oh yeah, well it's so true to like yeah. of people like us that do hacking on on hard, old hardware. I just bumped the mic. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, no, you get you get the one post where it's just I don't know what's going on, and then the next post is I fixed it. Yeah, and that's it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um go ahead, John. Oh no! So um, let's see. Where were we? Uh, well, I was going to talk about forcing updates a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So, because um, so the big thing is when Windows 10 came out, right? And they were like, "It's so hard to disable basically forced updates on that." Right. And people are complaining about it, but it's like, you know, the biggest vulnerability of Windows is it not being updated. Right. Now, well, and it also goes into where basically the, sometimes Windows will update and it'll break your machine. Because I've actually had that happen to me once, first time ever with Windows 10. Right. Um, and it's, and it, you know, testing all the configurations and stuff. But it's like with Windows, it's kind of hard to do that. Well, you know, updates are a lot like, uh, it's a lot like politics. <laughs> you know, uh, the, uh, the engineers want to put, uh, useful things in the updates and then uh you know marketing wants to get some pork in there and <laughs> and that kind of that kind of breaks the system it's like oh yeah we need to fix these two security things and in fact you know microsoft used to have a policy of it was like patch tuesday or something but they used to just only release security updates and when you start bundling like you know ui changes and software changes in with the security updates and you don't give people a choice to to accept them um then, then you have an issue, and I, I think, I think a lot of this kind of comes back to, um, you know, consent. <laughs> it's like, did the yep. user did did the user consent to this update? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's force it on them <laughs> on them anyway. There, <clears throat> there are some cases 
where it's like, look, um, whether you like this or not, we need to make this update to make things more secure. That's different. But, yeah. you know, it's like if you say, yeah, we're going to um, we're going to make this more secure and we're going to change the UI that you know and love. Then it's different. <clears throat> yeah. So, un you know, unfortunately, that's not really how software works. Like it's very difficult to, you know, to unbundle those things. Right. So you say. You know, like you're working on source code. You're like, oh, um, well, you know, this stuff's going out anyway. <laughs> hmm. So I think I think that's a that's a that's a major issue, um, and you want to try to see if you can live in a world in which you can separate the software update and the UI changes. Yeah, it's Most, like when Windows yeah. updates. It's like, don't worry, everything's where you left it. It's like, what did you yeah. do? <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? What have you done? Yeah. So, so yeah, there's that. Um, and then, you know, then there's a whole idea of, of like, what is a malicious update? And, um, you know, I got it. You... When they, when that IOT garage company, like, <laughs> oh, shut they... off that guy's service. So the guy, cause he was being yeah. a dick on the internet. Well, they were both being dicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and then, of course the, the next problem is like, you have, you have malicious updates from the vendor, and then you have things like, um, what happens when, uh, you know, for example, like the company goes out of business, like where does your data go? What happens to the user privacy? And, you know, many companies will sell, like, for example, like I have a lot of, of Nest devices and Nest devices, they know when you're in your home, they know your schedule because they have sensors. That is extremely private information, like what time I'm home. Um, so if that company goes out of business, where does that data go? And that's or sort of the, buys them. Or who buys it? Yeah. Who buys the data? Exactly. Which is what happened what, a couple of years ago. Right. Hmm. Yeah. The, um, or actually, yeah. Going back to like, if, if Nest, well, let's use Nest as an example, right. went out of business and that server is not there anymore to talk to what happens to to that device. Yeah, I, I mean, ideally, <clears throat> ideally, either the device fails in such a way that it can still work without the remote server, or the company is good enough to distribute software that emulates their server, so you can run things in house. And I think that I think that this this goes back to like all you know anything in the cloud, right? It's like if you cannot emulate that thing locally, then the cloud is garbage. Yeah. You know, the, like, you know, Amazon's a good example. Like, you can. You can run instances in Amazon that are in the cloud, but you can also download the instance and run it under something like OpenStack, which allows you to run the instance locally. So there's a way out. But most consumers are not, they're not technical. They don't have these kind of escape routes. Yeah. It's um, kind of jumping to a different realm. It's uh, yep. Valve, which has that, oh, has uh, their, uh, Steam. Steam, which is their yep. giant like marketplace for video games. Yep. And that's basically DRM. When you boot up the game, it talks to Valve servers and says, yeah, that's a legit copy of the game. Well, yep. if, if somehow Valve went out of business or their server got nuked or something, yep. what happens to your ginormous library of video games that you purchase through Steam sales? Yeah, this is this is the problem with almost almost all DRM. And you know, um, you know, recently, um, I think it was I, I think it was Firefox. So like Mozilla started supporting um, or, or started making noise about supporting DRM in the browser. And it's like, no, <laughs> don't, don't do that. 
Well, not to get all tinfoil hat or political yeah. or anything like that, but what if what if say Steam said I don't like you or I don't like your political right. leanings or whatever, and just said you do not actually own these copies of these games? Do you have any recourse? Well, they do do that. Basically, if your 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 Steam account can get banned, and you don't have access to your stuff anymore, mm. yep, that's pretty awful. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> so far, they've only done that when you've been cheating in video games, which I fully support banning and <laughs> them losing all their content. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Hmm. Um, do we have anything else for security on IoT? Um, no, I, you know, I think I think that, you know, probably people listening to this podcast are going to uh, be manufacturing devices that somehow connect to the Internet. But I think, you know, keep in mind, it's like, you know, be careful about security updates. Um, you know, if you have to force the user, don't don't force other things at the same time. You know, err on the side of being more cautious and, be, and you know, doing more security. <clears throat> and uh, try, not to, try not to make a crappy Internet of shit device. <laughs> <laughs> make it, make it, if your device needs to connect to the Internet, make it so there has to be a reason why. Yeah, you know, and not like, you know, what was it was like an IoT water spigot. It's like, why? Yeah, I think I think earlier I saw an Internet of Things garden hose. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Yeah, it was like, really, really? What was it? Did Um, it just like monitor how much water? I think I I think the idea was is that you, you you know, you put a hose on it and use it to automatically water your garden or something. And those exist. It's called called a a watering system. Yeah, it's called a timer. Um, Yeah. The other, the other thing that the other random mention is, if you make a device that that connects to the internet, think about the other way. Like think about uh, ingress. So, for example, like if you're building a device that has internet connectivity, maybe you should also put a firewall on it that doesn't let people connect to it. So you know, in the case of like Nest, the they've been very good about that. Like you, if you run Nmap and you try to scan a Nest device, you get nothing. You can't even ping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the device the device is dead to the world, but it does connect out to send data. So that's that's a good idea, you know. Yeah, that's um like SCADA systems that they use in um industrial oh, yeah. plants and stuff. Those are you very know, insecure. It has, it has one connection to the outside world, and it's one way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And in, well, in fact, we know we know from lots of research in DefCon talks that most SCADA systems are frighteningly insecure. That's true. I mean, that, yeah. that was uh, that, you know, if you want to go back and read a very amazing story, go read about Stuxnet. And Stuxnet is one of the most amazing uh, <laughs> SCADA attacks in the world. Oh, where yeah. it's like, you know, it not only this thing had a very specific job. It looked for a very specific system controller with a very specific device attached to it, which most likely would only be attached to centrifuges that were, you know, designed to create fissionable material for bombs so yeah, it was the like, iran, iran attack yeah the the attack and we think that we think that was a u.s israel uh joint project to attack that but yeah, that anyway, was what, major, five, six years ago or something like that yeah it was a long time ago anyway and yeah and that's actually the thing is is they think they that vector was a flash drive yeah 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 so someone basically dropped a flash drive probably near the plant and someone picked it up and plugged it into a computer <laughs> yeah I've, uh, I've actually i've actually done that with uh with you know in in actual pen tests where we've built you know five or ten flash drives 
and we've written things on them like you know salary.exe <laughs> like <laughs> and, and you know you go put those in, you put those in like the lunch you know in the cafeteria somewhere and of course that payload is a meta exploit payload and then someone clicks on it and then you own their machine so it works people are dumb <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah um no, I, I helped set up a SCADA system when I worked up in oil and gas in Oklahoma. So oh, wow. it was one of those like, how do you make sure it's secure? And it's like, it only goes one way. That's right. And you make it so it doesn't control anything. It's only for data gathering. At least that's what yep. we use it. So. <laughs> or so you say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're on that current to uh, topic of crappy IoT devices. Yep. So. Um, oh, man. Um, yes. Yeah, so let, like let it rip, John. <laughs> like I said, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the the Internet of Shit account is my favorite account on Twitter. Um, the uh, those guys do a great job of tracking like all the garbage that's out there. Um, everything from, <laughs> well, I guess I guess this week they're sort of banging on the um, the Amazon Whole Foods merger, which is kind of silly, but um, <clears throat> the you know we have cameras. Uh, uh, remote control sex toys, which is kind of funny because they're like, oh, oh, in 1980, I bet there will be, there will be flying cars in the future. In 2017, this toy can be controlled from anywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, I now, think yeah, uh, we're we're looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Bluetooth. Uh, <laughs> Bluetooth. We, we actually had a we had a podcast about that a little while ago oh, where there was an this... adult toy that where the camera was uh, accessible oh. where oh, it should not be. Yeah. Oh no, no! The thing was about it is when you turned it on, it had yeah. a, it had a Wi-Fi SSID that would broadcast that it was like I can't remember, but it was the name of the sex toy. Right. Oh but my yeah. god! <laughs> so it had a publicly, yeah, privacy. Anyone in the yeah. area? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other, I, I, my, one of my favorite photos is a uh, they, they have a faucet where the faucet is dumping a Linux stack trace. The <laughs> faucet, the faucet has had a kernel panic. Like, you should not be running Linux on your faucet. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, and that's the thing is, what, even if it had Linux or whatever, is what advantage does, does that give you over a regular faucet? I don't even know. Because, <laughs> like, a lot of times, like, the internet of shit is like, oh, we put a TV in your refrigerator. It's like, I, I can't get away from my TV for five seconds. I need a TV to tell me what to do. It's right. like the one was when you go to the because they have uh, TVs in um, gas station pumps now. Oh God, right. yeah, yeah. That's the most annoying thing ever. It's like I don't want to listen to the news. Right. Oh, God. No, half the time they're ads. Yeah, half the time they're ads. Yeah, God, you know, drink Mountain Dew, <laughs> <laughs> Brondo, the thirst mutilator, um, <laughs> electrolytes. But it, yeah, half of this stuff seems like it's just made because it can be. It's it's almost like a joke. Uh, it's almost right. just like, well, we can, so we do. Actually, yeah, that faucet is a faucet with a screen on it, and it's probably just like displaying ads while you well, watch. Yeah, I, I, I we could run Doom. There was um, there was actually something I saw. Um, this may have been on the Internet of Shit account or somewhere else, but it was it was in incredible. Uh, there was a a gas station had this little you know monitor running ads, but what they were doing was the device was actually catering ads to what you know, what people were. So it would, it would look at you, it would do some very mild machine vision or machine learning work. And it would say, Oh, I think there's a middle-aged man standing in front of this device. 
I'm going to show a different ad. Oh, yeah, we like, talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, yeah. I actually kind of eared on the side of that's really cool and interesting. Yeah, it was. It was. It's cool kind right. of an invasion of privacy, but you're on private land that someone else owns, i.e., a store. So, well, that's true. I mean, there is no, you know, I I think there's a, there's probably a lot of case law about this where it's like you have no right to privacy, you know, in someone else's private space. Yeah, because it's what is it? Um, even in public space, someone else, at least in America, someone else can record you in a public space. Right. Mm-hmm. But does that extend to running analytics on you now? Well, yeah. It, it, it does now. <laughs> I guarantee I, you that. Well, that I actually took so. place in Europe, which actually has really strong, like, recording policies. Like, Europe, you can't Europe record has, anyone uh, in public. Well, Europe has much better privacy uh, law than, than we do in the U.S., um, you know, hands down. Unless you're in, unless you're in England. Yeah, unless well, I mean, England has massive amounts of uh, you know public CCTV. Like it's it's Orwell's nightmare. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, the Futurama episode with the iPhone, where they put the phone in their eye and it's just automatically playing ads like into their brains <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> nice, nice. Anyway, that was a good one. So I, so, uh, I IoT devices I actually like. I I, I guess is our is our next topic. Oh, yeah. um, well, you know, I I think I think I think the Nest is very good. I haven't had any problems with it. I don't think it's uh, really revealing too much about my lifestyle. Um, you you'd like to control your air I'm, conditioning? I, I, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of Tile. Have you seen Tile? Don't uh, so. Tile is amazing. Like you put a Tile on your keys, you put one in your wallet, you put one in, with all your stuff, and if you if you leave the house with all of your things and then you try to go home and you leave one of your things behind, it will send you a message, which is pretty amazing. So it's like, hey, uh, you left the house with By your keys. Amazon. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, Tile, I think Tile's independent. T-I-L-E. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. It, the first yeah. link was an Amazon link, so I was like, okay. Yeah, um, but any, anyway, they, it's tile, tileapp.com. Um, I have... I have had that thing save my butt so many times. Um, I once, I once went to a went to a bar. Uh, my wallet fell out of my bag. <clears throat> I went home. It sent me a message that said, "Hey, you left your wallet behind." Uh, very oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, the nice thing is, is, like when you're in your house, you can you can page your phone from your keys and page your keys from your phone. So I think that those guys are gonna go, they're gonna go pretty far. Um, and it's about twenty five bucks per. Yeah, they're, they're, they're twenty bucks per. I think I, I think I own five of them, <laughs> nice. and I I you know every year uh, they give you a discount because the batteries do eventually die. But the uh, you know they're they're ten twenty bucks each to to buy them again, and extremely awesome because let's face it, like having to go to the DMV or having to go get your wallet back is worth way more than twenty bucks. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, and just emotional distress. Oh my god. So yeah. How so does that work? Um, they, they work, uh, the device itself transmits Bluetooth low energy okay. and they, they send a unique ID number. Um, and the way it works is your phone communicates to the device using BLE. Mm-hmm. And then if the, um, I think it's like every, you know, every 10 minutes or so it sends a ping. And then if you lose something, then what it does is it notifies every single other person who's running tile. Uh, so anyone else with a phone, uh, who has the tile software? It'll say, "Look, you know, device number one, two, three, four, five is lost." 
if you see that device, please send me a message. So it, it uses the power of the network to find your stuff. It's a mesh network. Oh, so if you lose something, it doesn't just tell you that it's lost. It could potentially tell you where it is. If there's yeah. enough people in the area running with it. tile. Yeah, that's right. So that's yeah, that's, that's, a, that's cool. very, very, very cool. There's been a couple of other companies that have tried to do this, but I think tiles kicking butt on that. Plus, yeah, it sounds like you kind of need a, a critical mass of users in your area. So it works well. Yeah, well, you know, in San Francisco, everyone's a nerd, so. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a lot sure of... that's the, the point of the company is to make that critical mass happen. Yeah. yeah. It, well. it, it, like, it might work okay, like, downtown Houston, but, like, in the suburbs. <clears throat> yeah, I think if you're in the suburbs, you're screwed. But but the thing is, if you are in the suburbs, that the um, that sort of abandonment alarm will still work. Yeah, so it'll still tell you that you're missing your keys. Right. Yeah. You're, and so it does do this thing where it's like if you leave the house with a bunch of stuff and then you come back to the house and you're missing stuff, it knows. So that's pretty sweet. Hmm. Um, so it's it's a combination of GPS and Bluetooth L, uh, Bluetooth low energy. Yeah, so, I was just about to ask, how does it know that you got home? Oh, yeah, well, because the, the device is running, you know, location data in the background. Right. So, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a risk of locational privacy there. Um but uh, that but works it pretty well. It's, it's reasonable, you know. Um, what else do I like? Um, I don't know. Most of my house has uh, Insteon uh, wireless devices in it. They're not on the internet. They're on an Insteon network, which is a, um, you know, local, uh, I think it's like 900 megahertz network for running light switches and things like that. That works pretty well. Um uh, I have about 30 devices on the network here that are either light switches or otherwise. So that's pretty cool. Um, aside from that, not too sure. Um, I don't I don't have too much else on the IoT front. Do you have anything, Stephen? Mm, I don't think so. I, I mean, every once in a while I'll throw a, a Raspberry Pi up, but right. for only a short period of time, really. Yeah, I have, have a, that... Um, Brew pie working. Craft craft beer craft pie. Beer pie. Craft yeah. beer pie. I had that up oh, and running, <clears throat> and that actually does use the default password. Um, oh, does it? <laughs> pie pie. Yeah. Pie raspberry. Oh yeah, pie raspberry. So, uh, but I was I was just running it for a test uh, for for some time, and uh, I if I was going to use that on a more regular basis, I would certainly change that. But, right. Uh, yeah. No, sure. I'm, I'm not really IOTE. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else I have. I have um. I have some of these like uh, cheap Chinese uh, LED controllers in the bar here, <laughs> and <laughs> I wrote I wrote I wrote a bunch of code to talk to them, but they they communicate over UDP, and uh, you can send messages to them to tell them to change the uh, change the lights and things like that, and I I have source code for that on my uh, on my GitHub, but um, yeah, not not a lot here. Um, at one point we considered putting the uh, the blinds on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> But we, we didn't do that. Uh, we we have some Sumfy devices here, which are notoriously hard to remote control without proprietary software. Um, but you know, for those, I do have code for the HackRF that communicates with them. But that requires a bunch of work. But yeah, Parker. Anyway, you got anything? Um, I I actually have played with. It's kind of a little bit different. It's like it's like a satellite of things, I guess. Oh, um, I've been working a little bit with with the with, with the uh, rock block, which is the Iridium satellite network. Oh, really? It's like a module you can buy at like SparkFun or whatever, huh. and you don't get that much data. But it's really good at, when you need to push like 
you know, just a couple bytes of this information up up into the uh, the cloud. And Actually, the, yeah, that's at that it, it's like just like the swarm of satellites. So that thing uh, is a that's that's an actual iridium modem. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's a really cool little device, and it doesn't cost that much money to run. Um, right. I think it's like two hundred fifty bucks to buy the module, and then it's like. Yeah. Do you have to pay a monthly to talk to iridium? Yeah, oh, yeah. you got to you got to pay monthly on it. Yeah, it's um, a... which it, it's not too bad though for what it is. I mean, you don't get a lot of data. Like, right. Because I had like the low end plan right now, since I'm not really, I haven't really worked on it in like a couple months. But, um, but the idea is basically, you know, like basically take it in a GPS unit and shove it into the Jeep, and then now I know where the Jeep is at all times. And wow. when I go off roading, uh, my parents will know, you know, where I'm at, <laughs> stuff like that. The last what? time I used the last time I used Iridium, uh, this was last year. I was on safari in Namibia, Africa, and. Uh, there was nothing. I mean, you could get out of the truck, you could spin around in a 360, and all you saw was horizon, and it was the most uh, it was the most confusing thing for your little brain to deal with. That there was nothing, and you pull up a radio, and there was nothing. You know, so iridium was the only way to communicate out there. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever seen the movie Mad Max, that's where most yeah. of the most of the last Mad Max movie was filmed. Like the Fury Road was filmed in Namibia, and I was standing on that Fury Road. It was crazy. And um, with all our, um, with this whole hurricane business, is uh, oh yeah, I actually really wish I tried it out during the hurricane. It's just like I didn't have any power <laughs> to, to boot it up. Yeah. Um, so well, I'm, you I know, wanted I'm to see if it would connect through the clouds. Apparently, they can. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about building like a kind of like a weather monitoring, like maybe like a house monitoring system. Like it says the house has got power and um, <laughs> like not like, like Nagios for your house. <laughs> yeah. Basically just like really simple stuff and maybe some temperature data and stuff like that. And just have it, you know, you know, every hour or so go up and, and just ping. Right. Because, um, you know, cause my house lost power on Monday and it hasn't got it back yet, but it would be nice to know, you know, when the power came back on. So, you know, when I went home, I can have nice, nice air conditioning. <laughs> you just need a, uh, you need like a ping or something. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's funny in, in my house, I actually have two of these very old uh, Baytech RPC3 uh, power strips. And I have them connected to my local network and I use them to ping uh, the internet. So if the, if I lose internet connectivity, I then connect to that device and I have a script that automatically reboots my, my modem. And because I, I used to have modem failures all, all the time. Nice. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a neat thing. Uh, you can build like a very simple watchdog script. And you could use something like that, like when it boots up to send a message. Yeah. Uh, saying, oh, hey, all the power is connected. I'm alive again. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys are okay down there. It sounds, <clears throat> it sounds crazy. It sounds yeah, like it really a, a, a lot of flooding. Yeah, it really depends on where you're at. Um, yeah, well, same thing with New Orleans. I'm oh, yeah. Too. You know, the thing that's crazy is uh, I, I nobody can be accurate in any kind of sense right now, but the predictions right now is that 15 to 20 trillion gallons of water fell on oh Houston. Oh, my God. Katrina dumped 6.5 trillion gallons. So we're, <laughs> wow. we're three times as much as Katrina. Yeah, and you know it's 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 so different because you're you're a little more inland 
than uh than you know than and and slightly more. higher elevation than New Orleans. I mean, wow. You, I mean, it's easier being negative. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're we're the highest point in Houston. The highest natural point in Houston, I think, is fifty-five feet. Oh my God! So. <laughs> well, you know, you know, we're in, we're in the same boat here in San Francisco. I mean, I can, you know, I can see the water. So. Yeah, Hopefully, your, your weather's a little bit nicer than ours, though, in general. Yeah, well, fifty-five degrees, sixty percent humidity all year. Wow. At least you know. Actually, today's crazy. Today's like, it's supposed to get to one hundred and fourteen in Livermore um this weekend so friday saturday i mean right now it's about 80 downtown which is crazy for us but yeah actually it got to 80 when the hurricane hit and i thought it was freezing outside wow oh yeah because <laughs> you guys are yeah but it was like 98 before the hurricane showed up so yeah 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 so i guess we move on to um the badge the badge stuff yay so um so yeah, so we spent the last year building a badge for uh, for DEFCON 25. It was a amazing, amazing amount of educational and uh, very, very educational experience. Um, we had uh, great help from Macrofab, and uh, we also had you know we had problems that we created and that got created during the process. But all in all, I think it was I think it was a good experience. Um, we. We built a wearable video game for DEFCON 25. Uh, it was largely based on the, the, the DC-18 uh, Ninja Networks badge. So you could take your badge, walk up to someone else at the conference, press a button, and fight them, which was super cool. Um, but, you know, it was our first big hardware project. So we we had a lot of mistakes. I think, um, I think we... You know, it, it's like what we were talking about before before with the Internet of Things. Uh, when you build a device that contains firmware and you make mistakes, the mistakes uh, scale up very easily. <laughs> um, we we had problems with our chip, with our chip footprint um, that created a few more board spins uh, through Macrofab that we really wish we didn't did uh, didn't do rather. Um, we also used an LED called the WS twenty eight twelve, which was absolutely terrible <laughs> um the you know you want to be able to use uh you know most of the most of the the electronics things that are happening these days most people are doing surface mount technology we don't want to use through hole uh on new board designs because through hole takes time and um the ws2812b is a rgb led uh that is surface mountable um but unfortunately um it's so brittle it doesn't survive uh, the oven process. So, um, people that are, that haven't done surface mount projects before, um, might not understand what's been happening with sort of the, the push towards ROHS and ROHS is a lead free process for producing electronics. The unfortunate thing about lead free process is that it's a much higher temperature. So, you know, we, we, we had this joke, um, all year with badge life, we said, make, make solder, let it again, <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, you know, make America great again. Um, you know, let it solder melts at a much lower temperature. Um, typically that's around, you know, 600 degrees Celsius or in, in some blends, it's like 390 some odd, sorry, 600 degrees Fahrenheit, 300 yeah, Celsius, 300, yeah, 300, the board. <laughs> sorry, 300, yeah, 300 something Celsius. Um, unfortunately, uh, plastic melts around, um, 
Uh, I think I think I think the lead free temperature is like what? It's like uh, seven hundred or something. It's much higher. It's, it's two. Uh, our oven runs at two fifty five Celsius. Two fifty five Celsius. So I think our lead free process. Yeah, two fifty five Celsius. Uh, let me see. Google to Fahrenheit. Yeah, and that's that's that's, that's four, peak. That's yeah, four ninety very, very Yeah, it's four ninety one, right? So mm-hmm. normally, I think you know when you're soldering, you typically have your iron set to like six fifty, but then that's because you're just you're just barely touching it, right? So yeah. for continu- for continued use, I think uh, I think um, uh, unleaded solder, I think is like it's like three fifty or something. It's much lower. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can all look up all these specs on the internet. I don't really memorize them very well. But the, the thing is, is like the WS2812B, it melts internally at a much lower temperature. So when you put it through a, an unleaded solder process uh, and you put it in the oven, the, the, the little LEDs, uh, the little wires inside the LED, they self-destruct. Yeah, and the, the, the uh, wire bonds. The dye bonds, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, the, the dye bonds self-destruct. So we had... So we manufactured like 225 uh, devices. We had approximately a hundred of them fail because of you know random LED problems, and then we had a whole bunch more fail because like our chip uh, footprint was bad, and then we had even more fail because we we neglected to tell Macrofab how to correctly program these things. Because had we put like one more line of information in our programming notes, um, you know everything would have been better, but. You know, the thing is, when you're manufacturing devices, you have to be very explicit. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people, if you read, uh, there's a wonderful book that Andrew Wong wrote called The Hardware Hacker. And um, he talks about going to Shenzhen, going to China and manufacturing uh, this thing called the Chumbi, which was a kind of like plushy electronics device that came out in the early 2000s. But he talks about how explicit you have to be about your hardware design. And... Uh, you know, everything, the hardware, the firmware programming, it's a lot of work to, to put these projects together. Um, so, you know, I think we learned a lot of good lessons for next year. Like next year, we're not going to use the 2812B. We'll probably use our, we'll probably use um, discrete RGB LEDs with the, there's a really wonderful Texas Instruments LED controller um, that the guys from uh, QueerCon used. And I think we'll probably use that for next year. And then we'll probably use a, a, a different microcontroller that has a, a much easier, um, you know, ability to, to solder to the board. And I think, I think that that's, that's another big thing is like, you know, component selection when you're manufacturing at scale is super important. We wish we had used something that had like the SSOP, you know, the, the chip package with the legs sticking out of it. Oh, instead like of, a uh, QFP. Yeah, a QFP. Like, or in, instead of using the... Um, you know, we used a v, VFLGA, very, very fine uh, something gate array. Lead large grid array. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I I will never send you guys that chip again <laughs> because <laughs> it, was, it was so awful. Um, so, you know, next year, I think we're probably going to look at like the BMD 300 or the BMD 340, which is by Regato. And that's what was used on the AND, not XOR badge. Very very easy chip to work with it has a very small amount of pins on the bottom and you can see them which is great um uh but you know it's, it's funny because i think we i think i sort of got this crash course in like in surface mount repair surface mount technology and i i started out as an electrical engineer um in my sort of college career and then the um you know the the internet happened in the mid 90s 
and I dropped everything and worked on the internet, which was a good a good idea at the at the end of it all. Um, but um, you know, I really wanted to get back into electrical engineering, which is why we did this project. So very successful, I think. Well, well, you got you got the kind of the good and a little bit of the bad parts of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm not mad about it. I'm, I'm I'm really happy at the way things worked out. I think it was extremely fun, and you know, probably the best thing for us was walking around DefCon and seeing everyone playing the video game. That was so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. How was it? Uh, how was it received at DefCon? Well, we got we got great press. Um, we we had a couple of big sponsors. We had a vast uh, hacker a vast hacker warehouse. Grim. Um, if I if I miss one, they'll be mad at me. Um, and we also had Phobos Group. Um, but a, a lot of our a lot of our sponsors were really happy with the with the badge. the The biggest problem we had was like we had a, a lot of screens break because they were made of glass and people get drunk, you know. <laughs> um, I was about to say they get aggressive while fighting each other on these devices. Yeah, right. So we had that problem. Um, we had some people break the speakers. We had some capacitors go flying off the board. <laughs> so, so you know, it's funny. You had the engineer for um, for damage. <laughs> That's the thing is they have like, you know, you design to be child safe and stuff. They get to be a new thing for DEF CON badges is designed for drunkenness. Seriously. <laughs> so your badges around here uh, affectionately got the name uh, of the Game Boy boards. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we always called them that around here and everyone knew exactly what they yeah. were. Yeah, the Game Boy badge. Um, yeah, we also had, um, as I say, we also had sponsorship from Red Team. They were great too and, and Urbane Security. Uh, the badges, we, when I designed them, I, I started out with a circle. That was the first thing I put through Macrofab and we put them on and we said, oh my God, I look like Flavor Flav. I cannot wear this badge. <laughs> it was like a big clock and we were like, no, no, not going to happen. And then I, I kind of had the iPhone, uh, I had the iPhone six in my hand and I said, you know what? This feels right. Like this, the size of the iPhone six. So we sort of took the iPhone six. It was like the six S plus. And then I found the shape of a Roman bath. <laughs> and so that's the, that's the, the outline is a Roman, it's like a Roman bathtub. Because um, we're kind of keeping with this Caesar's Palace Roman theme. But uh, we spent... Right, because uh, it had, it had uh, olive branches on either side, right? Yeah, In yeah. In the silkscreen? Yep, yeah. So we spent, uh, we spent a year uh, writing the, the software. I had, a, I had a really great friend, Matt, who is the artist. And then Bill... Who I think you talked to once, uh, Bill Paul was he? He is an incredible firmware engineer. Uh, he works for Wind River and he's worked on on VX Works for like the Mars Rover and stuff. So I couldn't have picked a better person to uh, to do the the low level code. God, if he did a over air update to the Mars Rover and it bricked it, no, oh, holy God, crap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd be in trouble. Yeah, that'd be uh, like a, it'd be space. Be a uh, yeah, space internet of shit. Yeah, a year and a half till you get your return on that one. Oh yeah, yeah I told right. the sleepy bee to go into sleep. It's never coming back. <laughs> I think you know, I, I think that those things do a uh, um, they do an update process which is very similar to, you know, if you remember the uh, the TiVo uh, DVR where mm -hmm. they actually they run two processors, so they run, you know, they they run one firmware and then you can always reboot and go to the other firmware. And I think that that's, I think like the Rover stuff works like that as well. Unfortunately, like our badge has one firmware <laughs> and we actually made, um, we actually made a couple of mistakes in the firmware that were, that were like life threatening mistakes for the game. So like we, we actually had, we had overflows in the code 
So like one of the things that we did, we had a um, we have a counter that keeps track of how much XP you've earned, and I think it was like an unsigned. Uh, 16-bit integer. So once you overflowed the unsigned 16-bit int, all hell broke loose, which was pretty funny. Hmm. Um, so you started earning like negative XP. It's crazy. Um, yeah, and then the other thing we had was, you know, we had some cases where the actual uh, main CPU did not fully adhere to the board. And it turned out that like, you know, once I got the boards under a microscope and I started like fixing those problems, I could... I could restore the boards to 100%. And I also got really good, incredibly, at desoldering the full chip and then putting the chip back on again, which is crazy because there's 64 pins under that chip. <laughs> well, doing it, doing it with a hot air gun? Yeah, hot air and a microscope. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty impressive. I, I have to give, this, this is crazy. If, if you have not seen this guy on the internet, you have to go watch him. Uh, you go on YouTube and search for a guy. His name is Lewis Rossman. He runs a independent uh, Mac uh, repair. Uh, it's like a repair company in uh, in New York. And this guy, everything he's I know wizard. about, he's a wizard. Everything I know about repairing surface mount, I learned by watching his channel. Yeah, his stuff's really good. He, he, he also is, shits on Apple as often oh, as he can. Oh, he hates Apple. Well, and, and, and you know, with, <laughs> with good right because because you know Apple has spent so much time building their devices to be unrepairable. Oh yeah. But anyway, that being said, like, you know, he does his electronics thing and then he goes home with his cat and then he does like philosophy. It's, it's absolutely unreal. Yeah. But he's, uh, you know, it was really great to watch that and be like, Oh, Oh, so that's how, that's how you use flux. That's how you remove a chip. Oh, that's how you resolder. Like, you know, Oh, Oh, I should buy these tweezers. Oh, I should have this repair station. Really amazing. It was like a, uh, a free college course in surface mount. I mean, the yeah, guy, it's actually when um, that that guy in this couple other videos, I I basically send to like I have like friends that are like are still in school and stuff, and yeah, like they're like, how do I do this? I'm like, look at these and learn, and then just yeah. do it. Seriously, like yeah, just watch this guy. But uh, yeah, I, I you know I up until a year ago, I had never I've never worked on surface mount before, and. Uh, when we started building things, I said, oh, my God, you know, electronics has changed so much. There's no more through hole. Everything's surface mount. What do I do? So, you know, now it's now it's different. Like now I own a microscope. Now I have the Hako hot air station, the micro soldering pencil. And, you know, we we bought those things because our um, our badge project, like all in all, was about let's say it was about thirty three thousand dollars for the project. And we raised you know, we raised about 26,000 and the, all the other money came from us and other sponsors. But the, you know, the big deal was, is like, there were times in which we said, oh, we have to buy, we have to buy the microscope. We have to buy the hot air station because if we don't, we're going to lose more money, <laughs> you know, like being able to do inspection and repair at home was a big deal. Um, it probably recovered about twenty twenty five thousand $25,000 of the project. So, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, it's great. So, Steven, do you have something for Steven's game? I do. What, what's Steven's game? So, Steven's game is basically Steven's going to have a question, and there okay. are no wrong answers. Okay. Um, so, go ahead and go. Okay, so I, I felt uh, – I, I was thinking about a, a handful of things, and then I threw them all out the window, and I, I thought, okay, if you could design an IoT device, what would it be? Go. Oh. Um, I think uh... – Jeez, if I could design an IoT device, I think I think right now there's a giant, the uh, the the home automation space is a giant nightmare, 
and there's all these different competing protocols. So I think, I think maybe if I, if I could build something, I'd probably fix that problem first. <laughs> um, like nothing, nothing talks to each other. So like you have, you know, Lutron and Insteon and, and all these, you know, Belkin garbage and uh, Philips Hue devices. And there's no device that talks to all the things. So, so, so IoT glue, basically. IoT glue, like fix, fix the protocol problem and then, and then try to make it open source because, you know, right now, I think... Oh, God, that would be a copyright nightmare for someone. I know, right? <laughs> so I, think, I think, you know, I think a big problem is, like, I have, um, I have like, the Sumfi blinds in my house, right? And that's a proprietary protocol that Sumfi has been very deliberate in keeping people out of. Like, and I, I think that you, that sort of advancement in the home automation space is not going to happen until these protocols are more open. But, yeah, there's that, Um I might also work on like a door, like a, a door lock that's actually secure, unlike <laughs> 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 the lock estate devices. So I, I, I don't know. Awesome. That, yeah. that was that was actually incredibly quick uh, for for just a blind question like that. Yeah. So so I'll tell you what I'd do. Yeah. I'd make I'd make a, a beer can that has a bunch of sensors in it that tells you the liquid level and <laughs> temperature and the location. Oh, so you never oh, forget where your beer's at. You could ping yeah. your beer can. You just well, put one of those uh, bags on it. I think I think you should just put a tile on it. Yeah. <laughs> a tile, yeah. Just put just put no, but it's got to be built into it. Oh, because uh. it's like it's like oh, liquid level. Well, obviously that will be zero very quickly if you can find <laughs> it. If you also made it sarcastic like that, yeah, then, uh, <laughs> when he could speak to you. Yeah, you're like, oh, and what you could do is you can put these in bars, like you oh, can put God. in. in glasses and stuff and so that the bartender or waitress will bring you a beer right when it empties oh, oh that's that's oh. a great idea it, it, you just have this huge monitoring wall yeah that shows liquid because that that actually gives it where you can actually use it now it's not it, it, i just turned it from an internet of shit thing to actually an internet of things but thing. okay so if you have an app that goes along with it and that app you select what your next beer will be when you're done with uh, it what? so it just automatically shows up what if the beer can told you where the bathroom was? <laughs> it would. It could talk <laughs> you to the bathroom. You're like, hey, man, you've had three beers. Bathroom is up and to the left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Time to break the seal. That'd be great if you're at, like, Las Vegas where you have no idea where the bathroom is. Oh, my are. God. Oh, my God. I, I, I can't tell you, like, the... The struggle. The struggle is real. <laughs> Trying to find yeah. your way through. You're like, I'm in the casino. Actually, the worst, the worst thing, by the way, just random badge note. The worst thing that we did during the entire badge process was offering to bring people their badges when they were in the casino. Because <laughs> you could not find it. You're like, where are you? I'm next to the slot machine. You're like, which one? You know? There's billions of them. Oh, my God. Well, it's terrible. You didn't, you didn't uh, throw them in the fountain outside, did you? No. Uh, I did spend most of DEF CON in the hotel room soldering, which is probably a bad thing. But, but you know. <laughs> The one day we got to go to the pool, it was like, oh, yeah, hey, we're not soldering anymore. This is amazing. <laughs> awesome. So, so Parker, IoT ID? Oh, um, you know, you know I, the, it already exists what I want, which is what I'm building, that, that rock block, you know, satellite of things thing. Okay. But if, if an actual IoT device, um, I'd probably would like if my tools, like my power tools, the batteries would report their battery level. Yeah, and so I knew if I needed to charge it or if I lent it out to someone, they always return it dead. 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. And I just store it away, and then I new- use it on Saturday, and it's dead. It's kind of like it's kind of a little bit douchey to track your battery level while someone's borrowing it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I guess. Um. I guess if you don't trust your friends, don't let it out. <laughs> no one is. It's just. It's more on me where I get it back, so I can. It was go. Hey, charge it. You know. And so I go and charge it. Yeah. It's kind of like a be kind rewind. Yeah. Stay be kind. Re- be kind. Recharge. Be kind. <laughs> Yeah, I have uh, I have three of those uh, Dewalt batteries. I just keep them charging all the time because, you know, might need them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that problem about here in in Houston is it's so hot, like because I you oh. know, they're in the garage, and so I if you're yeah. basically keeping them topped up on the charger, that actually damaged lithium. So I don't have them on the charger at all yeah. until wow. I'm you know, going to use them. That's uh, that's Maybe really I something. Just put them inside what's air conditioned. And it must be an IoT yeah. device to monitor. Their yeah, temperature. monitor the temperature. It must be so <laughs> hot there. I just, I, I just can't imagine. You know, it this gets, week has been crazy because it's supposed to yeah. be like a hundred, and it's like seventy-five. Wow. So, it feels good, but tomorrow's supposed to be ninety now. Oh, well, maybe, maybe it'll dry up the uh, all that water. Who knows? Yeah. Or just make it muggy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> make the mosquitoes go crazy. <laughs> So, John. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, wait. You have anything else? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, well, we will we will certainly be hitting you guys up pretty soon. Uh, we're, we're starting to work on next year's badge. I have no idea what it's going to be yet. But we've, badge we've got Life some... V2? Badge Life V2. It's coming. Yep. Do, do you, have any, you have any secrets you want to share on that, or is it too early? Uh, well, I, I, I have a couple secrets I could, I could probably get out there. Um, I, I think... I think we really want to do another game. I think we had a lot of fun with the game, and I think that we might have to do something a little different. And there's a lot of people asking us if we'll make it compatible with uh, with last year's radio. So if we can write the software and get the radio chip on there, we'll do it. <laughs> but but I think cool. it's I think it's going to be super hard because the radio we were using was inside of the processor. But apparently, it's available as a separate chip. But we're trying to keep the cost down, so. You know, as usual, Badge Life has conflicting issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Everything is a trade-off, right? Everything's a trade-off. And um, there was a lot of stuff I think we did great. I think the bat- I think the battery life was amazing. We had like 12-hour battery life. And I think the, the charging circuit worked and the LEDs were, were good when they worked. But we got we to gotta find a company that's going to sell us a hopefully a plastic, you know, child-proof or drunk-proof screen. So I gotta work on that. I gotta, I gotta see if I can find someone in China that will sell me a plastic screen because glass is ridiculous. We had so many, so many screens break. Um, but we're thinking maybe, you know, maybe like the the Greeks versus the Romans would be pretty interesting or something like that. So we're gonna, we're gonna follow that up for the next few months and see where it goes. Kind of like Age of Empires. Age of, I love that game. It's one of my favorite games. Age of Empires. Isn't there another one coming out here soon? Um, I have no I, idea. I, I, I used to play that. Like that. I used to play that thing in the '90s. I have no idea where it is these days. Yeah, I think there. Like, I think there is another AOE coming out. Wow! That, it was right. actually they came out with the Age of Empires 2 HD edition, and so I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, cool!" And so I downloaded oh, yeah. it, and all hey, they on... did was just make it like compatible with higher resolution screens and fixed like all the bugs. Oh, so it was on... still like really low resolution stuff just blown <laughs> up to my 4K monitor. And I'm like. 
Yeah, it's not what I wanted in the HD edition. Man, you know, I went played StarCraft the other day, the original StarCraft. Oh, wow. And it was People... like, wow, it looks terrible. <laughs> wow. You know, it's it's like going back and playing WoW. Like, WoW looks terrible <laughs> these oh, days. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just, uh, speaking of video games, like, I just finished the uh, Uncharted 4. Um, was it the, was the that? one with? That was amazing. It was like nine hours. It was super quick. But um, it's great. So... I guess the next the next big game release on PS4 I'm looking forward to is um, Half Life Three, right? Half Life Three and uh, and and Life is Strange, which is that'll amazing. be on the PlayStation 28. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Game Newell will be dead by then. Yeah, <laughs> that might be the only way the game gets made. <laughs> wow, that got dark. Yeah. <laughs> PlayStation 28 that'll be out when you know Futurama is uh, is is life. Yeah, it's it's actual reality. Yeah. Now, what happened is Futurama will actually take the Simpsons spot on Fox. Yeah, oh. that ain't ever gonna. <laughs> Half Life Three will happen before that. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we did have that thing in our game where we we love the uh, we love the N. X. R. guys so much. We actually put Bender in the uh, in the game. <laughs> I don't know if you know. Oh, really? You know, yeah, on our badge, if you put in the secret code of B B B B B five five Bs, then you can fight as Bender. Well, Pretty actually, cool. I think that's going to be the secret code for our podcast this week. So each ah. week we have a, a secret code word. Uh, ah. If you email the secret code word of BBBBB, five Bs, to yep. podcast at macrofab.com, we'll send some uh, sweet swag your way. Cool. Excellent. So, yeah. Are we uh, going to wrap up? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, sure. I think that's good. So, John... Yeah, I just knocked the mic again. Hey, John. So, where can people find more about you and stuff that you do? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter as Netic N E T I K. Um, I also infrequently update uh, Retina.net/slash/tech, which is my tech blog, which I haven't touched in a while. But it's um, I think I think if you want to get my uh, my latest notes, uh, go look at Netic on Twitter. And then uh, for information about the badge, it's S P Q R badge on Twitter and we'll we'll probably update that as uh, as we get closer to things like Kickstarter and uh, you know badge details for next awesome. year. Awesome. So thank you John for being on the podcast and bearing with our technical difficulties with the hurricane. Yeah, no, I'm 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 surprised you're still running. That's amazing. Well, uh, I guess that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast and I was your guest, John Adams. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Take care.